0: I only go to get my parcel and they'll ask me are you busy tonight I say I might be playing Xbox, I've caught chicken pox or any other excuse they could say there'll be a man breathing fire It's walking a high wire, no I never mean to be rude I'm never really interested, not even when they've insted in, unless they say there's free drinks and food
1: Hi everybody, welcome to another free food, free drinks podcast episode I'm going to start this one by asking you a very simple question. Have you ever wondered what it'd be like to be a sabbatical officer in a student's union? Perhaps you thought about standing for a role. Perhaps you were an officer five, ten, maybe twenty years ago and you're wondering how it compares to today. If I'm honest, I thought about going for it once. I decided not to do it because in my university it was a bit of a popularity contest and I absolutely was not going to get elected. But equally, I think it's quite an intimidating position to do and a very difficult one at that. Imagine for one moment what it might be like to either complete your undergraduate studies or take a year out and be the tender age of 21 or 22 or maybe a bit older. And all of a sudden you are sat in front of the VC or very, very senior people in a university. How is that not an intimidating experience when you've got so little life experience yourself? I have been fascinated by the student union movement in the UK. It's similar to Ireland, but equally quite different. It's very loud, it's very proud, it's very active. But I'm really interested in those people who take the time to put themselves forward. It's such a brave thing to do. And like I said, something I definitely didn't do. The three people I speak to are also three young women and their passion for supporting students and getting the student voice across is loud and it's proud, which I love. But also we talk about power structures and how difficult it can be still in this age to be a female leader and a female student leader. As you know, female leadership is something I'm very passionate about and very, very interested in. Megan, Eve and Beth have done such a fantastic job in their retrospective roles. I am in awe of them. I'm, in fact, I'm inspired by them. So this episode was nothing short of a privilege for me. So like every episode, I'll begin by saying, I really hope you enjoy this. For me, it was an absolute pleasure to record. Eve, Beth, Megan, thank you so much for joining me today on the Free Food, Free Drinks podcast. I was saying to you just before I pressed the record button that I've kind of been stalking you online for a while in a good way because I've been, I've been amazed at the work that you've done even though even, Megan, I've never met you in person but I have always um, watched you from afar and Beth obviously I get to work alongside you at the University of Leeds. and I've been really fascinated by anyone who puts themselves forward for a leadership role in a student union because it's really hard work, it's a brave thing to do and something that I certainly wasn't brave to do when I was at university. I was interested in it, but I didn't put myself forward because I was convinced I absolutely would not have gotten elected. And so I thought this would be a great opportunity to learn more about the whole process of that, how it's been for you, you, what you've taken from it and um, the influence, the huge influence that you've no doubt had in each of your roles. I'm joined today by three fantastic women. And I think actually being a young woman in leadership positions like this and working in big universities is a challenge in itself. And I think actually, it would be great to hear more about that. So, for those who don't know you, would you be so kind as to share a bit about your background and uh, where you studied and subsequently had your position? Eva, could start with you. That would be great.
0: Sure. So, I studied at the University of Bath, um, and I studied psychology, um, and it was like a four-year degree with a placement year in the third year, and then I did two years post-graduating as president of the students' union there. And I've been out of the movement for nearly two years, um, so I left my role in the end of June 2020, um, so literally nearly coming up to two years to the day. And since then, I've been working in philanthropy for a foundation that tackles air pollution. Bit of a, bit of a sort of 180, but um, it's been a fascinating two years since.
2: Fantastic. And Beth, how about you? I technically graduated from the University of Leeds last year, and I've been uh, the well-being officer at Leeds University Union for the past year. My term comes to an end in by the end of this month, which is really scary, but I've got some exciting things planned. And Megan,
3: I studied at the University of Winchester. Um, I studied business management with enterprise and innovation, and then I was the president at Winchester Student Union from. 2019 to 2021 so I'm coming up to a year out of the movement which has flown and I once I left um, the student movement I work for a work in the charity sector in public affairs um, for a charity who works with um, bereaved parents and families so again really different um And I'm actually in September just about to pick up a master's at Royal Holloway in media power and public affairs. So that's, I'm going back into the student movement, but definitely not full into the student movement.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think once you start and get sucked in, you're probably like always part of it. So no doubt, you you say that now, Megan, but a few weeks time and a few months, you'll be on LinkedIn and you'll be... Uh, fully involved in Royal Holloway, no doubt. We'll see, we'll see. (laughs) So then speaking about you know getting I suppose sucked into the movement and actually being introduced to it, Megan was it something that you always wanted to do or was did your university experience just guide you that way?
3: Yeah absolutely, so I came to university definitely just because I thought it was the right thing to do, wouldn't say I was particularly academic, maybe earlier on in my life, but certainly not kind of post-16 education, wasn't particularly academic. I'd taken two gap years, so I was kind of a bit out of it, and I just thought, oh, I should really go and get a degree, but it wasn't really something that I was incredibly passionate about. And then I just had a wonderful experience with my student union. They gave me a place to find friends, to join a sports team, to go on nights out, you know, have volunteering opportunities. And I just think I didn't even know about student leadership. I didn't know what sabbatical officers were. I didn't know that was even a job. And in my third year, I just saw that I had such a wonderful experience and I wanted to help other students who were kind of be coming into my shoes have a wonderful experience as well. There were things I wanted to change too, but I definitely saw
1: it more of a giving back. And I didn't want to leave Winchester. So (laughs) that was the other thing. (laughs) I think I've seen that come through, you know, lots of officers I've spoken to over the years and in other roles that I've had where it's about that giving back. Their their experience was so positive. They want to have that for somebody else. Bet was that the case for you or what led you into joining um, and standing with LUU?
2: I wish I had an inspirational story, but I don't. I was supposed to be doing a placement year so I was kind of my last year I was studying was COVID um, so I was studying at home the entire year and I was looking for grad schemes and I just couldn't find anything in the sustainability space which is what my undergrad was in. I was really not sure what to do and I remembered that this thing happened in March like called Lead LEADLEU and I was like I remember that happening what what, when's that happening and then all of a sudden I signed up and I had a lot of stuff I wanted to put on my manifesto because you know I'd had a year in COVID uh, and wanted to look at the mental health space from like a more fun perspective and then I ran and luckily I won so and then I've done it for a year and I I, I encourage other people to do it but yeah I, I didn't ever like envision myself in our team Um, there are certain members of my current sabbatical team that have that ran in first year but For me, I was, I never envisioned it as something until I literally was like sat there and being told that that was the job I was doing for the next year.
1: And what's your story then,
0: Eve? There's definitely a story, whether it's inspiring or not, you can decide for yourselves. If I trace it back, I think my journey to becoming an officer started when I hitchhiked to Paris in my first year
1: of university. (laughs) Okay, now I want to talk about hitchhiking to Paris, but anyway, I won't. That's a different (laughs) podcast.
0: (laughs) So I had basically like seen some leaflets around campus about hitchhiking to Paris And in my head, I was like, well, like this kind of sounds like the sort of thing that you should do at university. Because it's like a bit out there, like you would never normally be able to do it. And like, here's a fun opportunity. And it turns out that that hitchhike was organised by the fundraising society, the RAG, at Bath. And so my journey into the Students' Union kind of started through the RAG Society. And so because I just loved that hitchhike and... I basically got into a bit of like fundraising events management I was like oh I want to be like the, the person who organizes this in future years um so we did a couple to like Edinburgh and stuff and then basically that was the sort of kernel of my SU involvement that really ballooned like I enjoyed my degree but I just loved doing the kind of like extracurricular stuff and that was like the majority of the time that I spent at university was doing like SU stuff so I did a bit in the like diversity and inclusion space I did some stuff in the like freshers week event manager space and through that I basically got to know people who were running or were in those positions as SABS, and so I started to get a, a sort of I guess a little through the keyhole into their world and thought oh my god what a cool job like they're, you know, representing students, they get to campaign on stuff. they have, like, a seat at the table at, like, the highest bit of the university, and I just thought, like, I want to do that, I want to make a difference to uh, students and I think I might be able to and I was just sort of you know seduced by the opportunities basically that it could afford me.
1: Eve you touched on there about being involved in campaigns and getting to campaign on behalf of students would you say that you're a natural campaigner that you're like naturally attracted to social justice issues and that is something that you know you wanted to pursue for it was was that in you already?
0: I think it was, but I've like really wrestled with like where that came from because I never really saw it in my parents growing up and my brothers are not like that. And I basically think it comes from my like slight tendency to like argue or like debate. (laughs) Like I happen to, like I have a tendency to like decide that I have a strong opinion about something and like really want to engage in conversation with lots of people about it, (laughs) which has got me into trouble, but also into like cool spaces. And so I think, I think I do, sort of latch onto things that feel a bit unjust and, or feel like it doesn't have to be that way. And maybe we can make it not that way. So I used to write a blog even pre-uni. And when I look back at some of the stuff that I used to write about, it was like, you know, Trump getting elected or well, that was probably in uni, but like lots of current affairs stuff that when I look back, I'm like, it was so obvious. Like Obviously I was going to end up in some kind of capacity like wanting to change things. I think that's mm. what I was drawn to, like the, the, the capacity to change things. So, yes, but where it comes from, Lord knows.
1: (laughs) And and Megan, you've been nodding your head there quite a lot, actually. I feel like you probably agree with a lot of those statements. Did you feel you were a natural campaigner or was it just things that you saw in your own course or in your university? And you thought, you know what, if no one's going to change this, I'm going to do something about it.
3: I echo so much of what Eve just said. And I don't know if I would have ever necessarily labelled myself as a campaigner. But you know, like I vividly remember in school reports when I was a pri- like in primary school, things about me like Megan needs to know that not everyone needs to hear her voice, and like I think maybe I can see Eve laughing, but it's true. And I think maybe I'm the same. Like deep down, I'm so I'm an only child, and I was around a lot of adults growing up. Whilst I don't, I'm the same. I don't think I necessarily saw campaigning in my parents. They always taught me to discover my opinion. And then not be afraid to voice my opinion, which has got them in hot water with me sometimes. They'll say that themselves. So I think I was just always taught to have an opinion and but like not, not just pull an opinion out of nowhere, educate yourself to an opinion. And then I've never been afraid to say my bit. And I now think about it. You know, I can remember before I went to uni, the EU referendum, getting into a blazing row with someone who I worked in the office with at the time. Because they were pro leave and I was pro remain, and a blazing route, to The point where the office manager had to say, you know, guys, maybe this just isn't the place for this right now. You know, and like, but I, again, at that time, I wouldn't have said I was engaged in politics. I wouldn't have said I was a campaigner. None of those things. So I think maybe university gave me an opportunity to discover my passion of that. And then yeah, I definitely saw things I wanted to change. And then obviously being a spats officer during COVID, as Beth said earlier on just gave you ample things that you wanted to change and argue about
1: so <laughs> yeah. But it's interesting when you're saying like you know you wouldn't have seen yourself as being very political or engaged in politics and I think people have a perception of what that person looks like normally it's a white man in a suit down in Westminster that's kind of been my perception growing up both in Ireland and um, living in the UK and I think probably maybe there are some students who maybe still think that, oh, it's not for me. I could never do that because I don't come from a certain background. I haven't got this knowledge or experience. But actually, I think you can probably learn a lot of that skills and knowledge in the role. But as long as you have the passion for it and you've got a good team around you, which lots of student unions do, you can actually really take that somewhere with the support of other people. So Beth, then you just mentioned about spending a year studying from home your last year. Did that really fuel your decision to stand for the particular exact position that you have?
2: I think yes and no I think like I said earlier that I I never saw myself as doing this initially but I think when I when I kind of was like oh this this seems like a really great opportunity and and in all honesty I didn't really know what a did day to day so I didn't know they sat on positions with the university I didn't know they were you know invited to council meetings and all these amazing things I just kind of knew it was something you did for the year I just looked at the array of positions we had and I thought well-being officer was something I aligned most with and uh, my mum's a cognitive behavioural therapist so that probably very much (laughs) I hate to say influenced the reason that I do my job now and I think for me I wanted to see I would say yes in the respect that in COVID year everyone was talking very negatively about mental health and it was very much how sad everyone was and lonely everyone was and I really thought that if we continued that it would only perpetuate those feelings and so i wanted to run a fun campaign and have a fun year and the whole point of being a student is to have and do ridiculous things like hitchhike to paris <laughs> and and to and to be able to just like live a great life and I think that was kind of stripped away from students and I wanted to kind of reinvigorate that and that affects people's mental health. So I think for me, and I wanted to, I did stupid things for my campaign. I like danced around the park and it wasn't really serious. And then people clearly, and that's clearly why people liked it, because it was kind of a light-hearted thing during a really tough time. And I'm glad you mentioned campaigns there, actually, because that's one of my favourite times of year to be on campus is when
1: the campaigning is starting. I went walking around the Students' Union this year and I saw all the amazing handmade like posters and banners and me coming from like I studied art in my undergraduate years. So I'm like looking at them going, oh, I love how they use that font and getting really like, you know, how innovative it is. And I've seen some fantastic videos over the years and content that people have shared. Uh, what was your process, Eve? What, what did your campaign look like? And did you go dancing in the park like Beth?
3: So I don't
0: remember dancing in the park. There was snow on campus in my first year, which actually I think it snowed both years. It was all a bit crazy. I had a bit of, bit of a battle in like which position I wanted to run for initially, actually, because I think the thing that I was sure of is that I wanted to be a SAB. And then I was like, but which one? Um, and a lot of my SU experience went more towards like the community officer role at Bath, which is like well-being and housing and fundraising and all that kind of stuff. And I just couldn't ignore this like thing in the back of my head that was like you want to go for president and I was really like wrestling with it because it felt like a really big thing the two previous presidents at Bath had gone uh, for the education officer role and then gone from education to president and it had been a while since someone had gone from just being a student to going straight to the president role it's usually like a sort of phased thing and so I was like am I being like Cocky here, basically. <laughs> like, I don't want to seem like I think that I've got it all or whatever, because I really didn't. I was quite like anxious about it. I had a conversation with someone who actually was a, a US full time officer. I think maybe he'd moved out of that role at the time I had the conversation with him, but I was like, look, I'm really wrestling between community and president. Like, what do you think I should do? And I said, like, I want to go for president, but I'm just not sure if I'm like capable of doing it. Or winning it and he said even all the people that talked to me about wanting to run for officer roles the people that doubt their ability to do so are women and maybe this is where my like arguing sort of defiance comes back because I was like I will be damned if I don't go for the president role just because like I've fallen into the trap of self-doubt that typically women have at a higher level than men so that actually just gave me the kick up the ass to go for it and then I Research researched my manifesto to the bone I had conversations with everyone I could I spoke to students I kind of I kind of crowdsourced my manifesto so by the time it was up on a website people went oh I spoke to Eve about that thing like a few weeks ago and obviously at the time they're like this isn't early campaigning I just like if you could change anything here like what would you want to see changed so I felt like it was a reflective kind of list of what students cared about and then similar to Beth I just kind of tried to have a, have fun with it it was a little bit of a toxic environment in my first year there was a lot of like everyone wanted it so much and there was a lot of like trying to trip people up on rule breaks and like that kind of thing and i just thought focus on the students and winning and not my competition or anything else mm. going on in the drama of it and it was absolutely exhausting but the first time i got elected remains like the proudest moment of my life
1: I think I have no doubt and I can totally relate like completely relate to the self-doubt of putting yourself forward for a leadership style position or anything to step up in your life and holding yourself back that story that you tell yourself that not good enough can't do it why would anyone vote for me why would anyone pick me or hire me I can completely relate to that and I have to kind of Talk back to myself and say, actually, no, you deserve it as much as anybody else. And why not you as opposed to um, why me? Megan, when you were going for the present position, did you experience um, similar thoughts or were you like, I'm doing this no matter what?
3: I had a really similar experience to even that. I was super divided between two roles. At Winchester, there's only three sabbatical officers. So there's not, not a huge amount of choice in portfolio. But obviously, I'd engaged in the union through my sports team. So I was. Vice captain, then I was captain. I'd sat on. Um, I'd been like a activity zone representative at student senate at Winchester. So kind of everything I'd done was through the lens of sports. So I was like, I'm going to go and be vice president activities, the person who organises sports and societies, rag and fundraising. But I didn't really know. To be honest, I was completely naive as to the whole thing. So I sat down with the current vice president activities at Winchester. I was talking to her, and she said. Megan, you're a natural leader. Why would you not go for president? And I said, well, I don't really know what the president does. She said, well, go sit down. He was in the office. She was like, just go talk to him about the experience. And I sat down with him. And by the time i walked out the door, I was going for president. not Wow. Because I think it's the same as Eve. The idea had been planted in my head. And some two people who didn't really know me, they knew of me, and they probably just thought I was an incredibly annoying sports team captain who didn't get out of their inbox for the whole year. But they believed in me and they didn't know me. And I thought, well, I've got to do it now. I remember the first time around being completely naive again about the campaigning experience Um, There was only two of us running for president. So it was very kind of dog eat dog. Having said that, it wasn't actually toxic. Um, It was just incredibly competitive. I do remember feeling like the underdog. um, And I think that probably was because I was a woman and he was a man. And feeling though people didn't know who I was, people weren't interested in my voice, what did I have to say about the union, things like that. But I remember the second time round being far more toxic. And I think that was because I felt I had more to lose. I do remember people saying to me when I ran first time round, God, I could never do that. You know, like, what if if you don't get elected? What are you going to do? And at the time, I just thought, well, what have I got to lose? Like, if I don't get elected... I'll go and find another graduate. I was the same as Beth, but I couldn't find anything that I wanted to do. So I thought, well, cross that bridge when we come to it. If I do lose, and then the more you campaign, the more you realise actually I have a lot to lose. Here. So by the end of the week, you know, I was in absolute bits before the award ceremony because I wanted it so so badly. And thankfully, obviously, I got elected. But the second time round, I uh, was elected during uh, UCU strike action. The second time round. And the two weeks prior, I'd um, been particularly vocal about a university statement that had been put out about strike action. Caused a few arguments online and um, had very, very tense conversations with senior management at the university. And students had seen that. And I was running against a male candidate. And I remember thinking, people think I'm hysterical. And then thinking, hold up. If he was in my position and he'd done what I'd done for the last two weeks, no one would think he was hysterical. They would think he was strong and outspoken and doing his job. But people think I'm hysterical and argumentative. And I mean, that kind of set the bar for the rest of my second year during COVID. People thought I was hysterical left, right and centre. So, yeah, I'd say, again, I a lot of self-doubt, but I'm the same as Eve. I'll be damned if I'm not going to do something just because I have an ounce of self-doubt.
1: What's interesting about your roles as well, actually, and this kind of ties into questions around you know working with senior leadership in a university. And I'll come to you, um, Beth. So Eve, obviously you had, you were completing your position just as COVID was kind of starting. So the last kind of couple of months of your position, Megan, you were in COVID. Beth, we we're kind of that first weird year post COVID, but still in COVID. So you've all sat around tables with particularly senior people in a university, people I certainly never get to meet in in my day-to-day role. What's that like, Beth, when you are trying to get across the points of the student body or particular campaigns or particular issues and get them to understand your point of view and influence them to persuade them to do something about it? What is that like? Because I can't imagine anybody would see you as being hysterical or, you know, not like well thought out and informed in your viewpoints and research and opinions but I can I understand that sometimes being female in those kind of positions we can be perceived in a way so have you had experiences like that and
2: how has it been for you I mean, just generally being in, I think in my first week, we were sat down on a Zoom call and talked through the UK pension issue by the Vice Chancellor and like the Deputy Vice Chancellor. And I was like, I had no financial understanding of what was going on. It was series after series of graph. And I was like, I don't get what's going on. And to be told that you're like, obviously you're sitting with the vice chancellor and like the deputy DVCs and all of these like big people. And then you kind of meet with them one-on-one. You're like, oh, they're just people. And they're just nice. And especially, I think for me, meeting them in person made a huge difference. Meeting people online is actually a lot more intimidating. Um, And then you just, and then when they crack a joke or you crack a joke and everything's fine. I think for me, the biggest issue at one point was when spiking happened last October and trying to convince a colleague of a certain opinion that I had and a certain opinion he didn't have. And that, his opinion arose from his experience of being a man and I think for me that was a really hard time because I had an emotional investment in in the fact that he was saying that men were more likely to be feeling threatened and unsafe walking along the streets and I was like well that's not the case I think the hysteria thing's interesting because I remember sitting in that meeting and I was getting emotional. I could feel myself welling up, and the only thing I said to myself was like, "Don't cry, don't cry. You'll look weak if you cry." And then I kind of, I, I swallowed everything down, mostly because once I start crying, I can't actually speak afterwards. So I was like, "Right, you need to get your point across first. And I like swallowed everything down. I walked away and I actually kind of reflect on that. And I was like, "Well, that's not the case. Like, I shouldn't have to feel that because I'm an emotionally invested in this situation. It's emotionally triggering for a lot of people. A lot of people have trauma in that space. That if I was to cry." then how am I the one that's weak in that situation? So that was really interesting for me. But I think for me, mostly like being a female in the space, like also I I work in an all-female team, which has been absolutely incredible. So I'm quite lucky that a lot of the women, I I work with a lot of women in those spaces. Our vice chancellor is a woman, that really helps. I don't know what it's like to work with. So I guess then I feel less threatened working with men in that space does it is it bad that I feel threatened sometimes working with men? Yes, it is mostly because I think, yeah, their experience in the world is is very different. And I specifically with that spiking case, it was quite tough at the time.
1: And Eve, you know, I can see you nodding your head as well. And and Megan, when you're emotionally invested in particular issues, how have you been able to communicate to the powers that be? you know, and influence them. What's been your experience of that?
0: So I'm super jealous of Beth's experience working with a lot of women because for the vast majority of my two years, the entire senior team at Bathroom men, white men, on a personal level, very nice. Like a couple of them, you know, I would go to the pub and have a drink with them. But it's a different relationship when your life is basically to be like a thorn in their side and to let them know like what they're doing wrong. bluntly. I like really identify with what Beth said about, I think there's something about, as women, we are told we shouldn't feel anger or we shouldn't express anger. And usually for me, if I'm really angry, I cry. And obviously that's like the worst (laughs) way for it to manifest because people go into like caring mode to you when actually you're furious. I, various things that I was like, emotionally invested in or just incredibly passionate about or was like at the end of my tether because I'd been banging on about it to the university for like weeks and weeks and weeks or months even and nothing had been done and I was getting the flack for it not being done even though they had the power to change it I would feel like the back of my eyeballs like pricking and like the water like the tears kind of building and I would have the same thought process as Beth like you're about to lose the argument because of the way that your nervous system is trained to express anger (laughs) um and because the power dynamic right with senior men and you in that position when you're maybe in your very early 20s maybe younger is that whether they like it or not they will or whether you like it or not they will go into like paternal mode if they see that you are upset and there is nothing that riles me up more than being patronised when I'm furious at someone. And so I had to be really clear, I guess, with boundaries when I was like talking about that kind of stuff like I remember one person like when I was so frustrated kind of saying going into that mode of like oh it's okay like and seeing me as vulnerable rather than angry and I was like I want you to know that what you're seeing right now is not because I'm upset or hysterical. like I like named all of those unconscious things that I think that they were perceiving and said I'm doing this because I am at the end of my tether I'm furious and here's why and all that kind of stuff and I don't know if that person had ever had someone explain what that reaction was in front of them and name all of the things that I don't think they realised they were thinking. I think that helped, but it, you know, it's taken me a while to do all of that analysis in my head and know what's happening when that's happening to me, and then have the confidence to voice it back to someone who's a white man over the age of sixty. It's been in academia for like the majority of their life, like all of that kind of stuff. So yeah, it is a bit crazy. And that you know, I look back and there's definitely been comments from people that they would never have made if I was a man and just all that kind of stuff and you just think wow I remember there was a there was a really senior appointment that was going on at one point and we were it was sort of collaborative recruitment process and we were discussing feedback on candidates and won't say what it was one of the comments that someone made about one of the female candidates I have never felt my blood boil like it and I left that room and I was trying to find our deputy chief exec who's a woman and I was like I need to like vent to her could only find my chief exec who is a man who was lovely but I literally walked into his office and burst into tears because I was like I'm a woman in leadership I want to be where that woman who's applied for this job I want to be that one day and this is still how men are speaking about those women in those rooms with that much power and I just felt like I'd gone back in time, like decades. It blew my mind. I felt so disheartened. And when I got to chapter, to my deputy chief exec, she was she was furious that I'd experienced that because of the potential that that would have on my confidence to go into those rooms in the future. It was like a, it was like a real moment for me where I was like, "Oh my God, the world is not where I thought it would be mm. when it comes to women in leadership."
1: Because the power dynamic is really interesting. I mean, I can remember standing up for myself to someone who is much senior than me in a previous role I had. And I was told, you're very feisty today. And they said that in front of my male colleagues, who are also my teammates. And I looked around and I said, I think we're all a bit feisty today. Because basically, He heard my voice, I was a bit loud that day, but it was early in the morning and nobody in the office was in, only my teammates were in because we were in early that day for something. And I looked around looking for support and none of my male colleagues supported me. They kind of just giggled away. And there was this moment of, I remember when I was speaking back to them, I was like, this is a very brave thing to, for me to say because there are a couple of positions senior to me and they had like a, this global position. And um, But I would think I was more disappointed not getting the support around me and them not understanding that word is a word always reserved for women and men are never called that and understand the context of that word. And to this day, um, I, I'm still actually friends with some of those people and they, they bring it up every now and again, you know, a bit of banter for, for a drink and whatnot and they still don't get it. They absolutely don't get it. And it's the one thing that makes me kind of go sometimes I'm like, I don't know if I want to be your friend anymore, because on that day, in that moment, all I needed was for a male colleague to actually stick up for me and support me. And they didn't do it because they didn't understand it, despite me trying to teach them afterwards. But I also had conversations with somebody else, a boss about power and the power they have and the privilege they have because of who they are because of their gender how long they've worked in their position because of who their boss is and because of that I have associated power it blew their minds they were like really this is a thing I was like this is absolutely a thing and I was able to give several examples Beth you put your hand up the power of zoom jump in yeah, I was like oh
2: like like blood boils isn't it when you're listening to each other's experiences but When you were saying that of the experience of someone saying feisty and it being the senior thing, um, this was my first professional work environment. So when it came to complaints or, or kind of, you know, when you have an issue with a colleague, I didn't necessarily know the way you go about that. And this year I had an issue with a senior colleague who made me feel quite uncomfortable and I wanted to raise that. But there was that whole thing of his seniority and how that played into it. So it had to be, you had to be careful about the situation. And the basis of what happened, it was just like comments. And I just generally felt uncomfortable and I didn't want to work closely with him because of that. But then I then manifested that within myself of being like, am I making a big deal out of this? Like you might have walked away from that situation and be like, did I make a big deal out of being called feisty? It's like, no, actually, it made me feel uncomfortable and I think that's the biggest thing I found about being a woman in, in a leadership role or just generally being a woman in a workspace is that we put up with a lot of low level stuff, yeah. low level yeah. I'm, I'm for quotation marks, because we don't want to be seen as being made a, like making a big deal out of nothing. You know, comments, you know, maybe colleagues saying our oh, love. Yeah, like this, like those terms and those like gendered terminology that doesn't exist in the male space that we're expected to kind of put up with. And then if you say something about it to be like, you know, don't call me that or, you know, do this or, you know, actually, I'm the last person to be spoken to in a room you address all my male colleagues first. Then you're seen as like making a big deal out of something. And that, like, I guess that might be like the hysteria and like you're the troubled woman. So sorry, that's why I was just getting angry when you're saying it, just because my personal experience of that this year has been quite rife in terms of like being like trying to pull apart other people. People's behavior and call them out on it and then being then me being the issue rather than them being the issue.
1: Yeah, it's almost that like you question whether you should take up any space at all, don't you? Uh Beth, I could exchange loads of horror stories with you. I've had uh, plenty over my what 15, 16 years in professional roles. And um is it getting better? I'd like to think it is, but then sometimes something happens and I kind of go. Really? And then obviously hearing your stories, you know, which are like modern stories in the sense that they've happened in the last 12, uh, 24, 36 months. It really does kind of dishearten me quite a lot. So Megan, then sitting around tables with uh, pretty senior people and you've probably had similar experiences, but at the end of the day, you're in the roles that you're in and you've got a duty to the students that you're representing. How do you overcome that? And keep going. Do you like dig deep and utilize your passion and think back to why you're elected in the first place? How, how do you keep going? Because it can be hard. It can be lots of low points.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I do genuinely think, and I'm really quick to recommend being a staff to people who are passionate. But I also think it's really important to caveat it where there were a few times in my job where I genuinely did not think I could do it anymore. A level of that was the job is incredibly stressful, whatever your gender. It was during a pandemic, (laughs) which was not what any of us expected when we ran, you know. But there was a level of, particularly during COVID, I was raising, it felt like there was something every single day that there was an issue with, you know. And I was constantly in meetings with university senior management. And at Winchester, there is quite a good split when it comes to university senior management between men and women interestingly i saw a lot of internalized misogyny with a lot of women at winchester and i did sometimes wasn't my place to do so a lot of the time want to pull people aside and say don't put up with that, you know, like that's, people don't have the right to talk to you like that, but I think people accept a lot of things. But I was just sick of constantly being vilified for having opinions and elevating the voice of students, yet it coming off as me being constantly argumentative. And it did get to a, a few points, particularly I can think of one during November of my second year and I mean anyone who's been a South will know by November whether you're a first or second year it's the month that everything goes wrong (laughs) and you question everything and you really need Christmas you know and I got incredibly upset about a situation that I'd been put in that was completely wrong by a male member of staff and I'd been really really quite intimidated and they just completely caught me off guard the situation which was fully their intention to do so to have the power over me, which wouldn't have happened if I was a man. And I just had a total breakdown in the office. And I'm quite thankful now that it was about eight o'clock in the morning and no one, not many other people were there aside from the general manager at Winchester and uh, the vice president activities at the time because I just declared to everyone, I can't do this job anymore. I can't do it. I don't want to do it anymore. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. And I took a week off, logged out of social media and everything, And I think it's really important to caveat it with being a sabbatical officer can be the best job in the world and the highs are so high. And when you get those wins, I'll never forget the moment that the vice chancellor agreed to do the rent rebates for COVID. I cried happy tears. (laughs) The highs are just so high, but the lows can be incredibly low. Uh, For anyone, regardless of your gender, but when there's a kind of tone of, misogyny and gendered kind of, you know, gendered behaviors against you. It does add a different level to it. And that's something you can't ever get away from. So yeah, I guess dig deep, but also be surrounded by the right people and make sure that they appreciate what you're going
1: through. So then you're out of the movement a little while now, as is Eve Beth's about to come out of her position. Eve, what will you say is what are you most proud of?
0: Do you know what I I didn't exactly make life easy for myself over those two years and I'll tell you why. Lots of people I think when they go into the role their ambitions for change are like they're quite discrete sort of visible wins so like we want to get cheaper prices on campus or or like for food you know better feedback turnaround times or whatever and there's been a lot of stuff in my final year actually around like our old vice chancellor being the highest paid in the country and a big Governments breakdown all this kind of stuff for whatever reason over that time of those two years I decided that actually what I was going to pick a fight about was culture and and the stuff that's kind of intangible when it's not quick wins and you can't really talk to students about it I just thought that if I could make a tangible difference to that everything else would flow from it it wasn't easy because you are putting yourself up against long-standing power structures and trying to Shift power away from people who who stand to lose a lot if they don't if if the status quo changes. But I'm really proud of myself for doing that, even if it's harder to pinpoint my legacy. If you know what I mean, I can see some things that have happened at Bath since that I'm like I know for sure that that wouldn't have happened pre me being a Sab. And whether it's correlation or cause, I feel internally pretty proud that some stuff has moved on considerably since then Um, so yeah I'm probably it's quite a broad thing to be proud of but I'm proud for not picking the easy things to push back against because I think in the long run it might make more of a difference
1: I mean, you certainly didn't make life easy for yourself, but what an incredible journey to go on. And again, I I mean, I I take my hat off to you, Eve, I really do. Uh, Beth, in reflection, you know, it's it's been a whirlwind of a year for you. It's gone by pretty quick, I'm sure. What would you say you're most proud of or what have you you learned? What would you take from the position?
2: Yeah, I think it's always easy when people ask you, like, how the year was for you to be like, oh, it's really tough. But like, I I would always rerun and I encourage others because I think, being sabbatical officer is like one of the most unique years or two years you could ever have in your life, and you get put in places and meet people that you would never meet straight out of university. So it's been amazing. I think you know setting up Fresh Start Festival was like a a re welcome for students and giving them the platform to kind of uh, reinvest in in what we have to offer, meet new friends and things was really really important to me, and I think that was the biggest thing that when I came in on day one they were like that's going to be hard for the university to do that and put money behind that and then chat to the, the student support team and they were like yeah we'd love that it sounds great we know that students need that and to have that support and it now to be part of the annual offering of like what a student at Leeds will get is incredible. Interestingly kind of the culture shift as well is quite an interesting one and we've done it I've done a lot of work on like social violence and misconduct this year and I think for me my predecessor Sophia kind of started that conversation and I kind of wanted to expand it and I think a lot of the emphasis was on and I never know the correct terminology on this but maybe the most intense forms or kind of the automatically recognized versions of sexual misconduct and violence and I kind of wanted to expand that on to talk about a more wider culture of how letting misogynistic terminology and that general treatment of women can then trickle down into those more severe things and now that we're setting up we've got you know sexual misconduct team making sure that we look at it from a really broad range of kind of effects rather than maybe those more intense things but yeah apologies if that terminology is not correct. I never know the right words Um, but yeah they're probably the things I'm most proud of and I've only got a week left so I'm really excited to hand over to Emily because our next team is another all-female team which is amazing so hand over to her and, and really give her the right foundation so she can kind of get a good start on and what she wants to achieve next year.
1: And what about you Megan then? I think it's so interesting
3: listening to it because I also struggle with tangible wins because I ran on a manifesto that at its core was I want to be a president and make the student union more accountable, transparent and visible because as a student I was engaged with the sports team but I didn't know what the SE did apart from that. It was re- it was a really interesting entry into it. And actually, the Vice President of Education and Welfare, who I worked with for two years, Vic, was exactly the same. She loved education and she's really passionate about education. And she wouldn't mind me saying this on here. Neither of us had any idea about student union governance about the inner workings of student union partnership with the university, we were completely blind to it, completely so. So I think I'm really proud that I like to think by the end of my two years, and it's actually a positive of COVID, we were so much more transparent to students. Students knew where a student union were, they knew we were fighting their corner, and they knew how to come to us with things. We did things like open forums, we did monthly updates, we used to do like um coffee chats with Sabs that people could join online just to come and just chat to us even and in Covid it was also more of a if you're lonely you know times are really hard right now pop in and just chat to us you know like we're at home too come and have a chat and I was really proud that by the end of it you know the last two years of election results at Winchester the election turnout has just absolutely skyrocketed and that's not solely me I absolutely cannot take full credit for that do not get me wrong but I hope that part of my drive to make the student union much more visible to students has helped that and I'm really proud of that. I also, the same as Eve, I very quickly decided that I was going to challenge what partnership with the university meant in the sense that I think it's very easy to slap a label of partnership over something when it's easy for one party and actually partnership is only partnership if it's genuine collaboration and co-creation and just having people sat in a room Or coming to people once a decision's been made is not partnership and that wasn't always easy there's the phrase don't burn your bridges I think I probably covered them in petrol set them on fire and then danced (laughs) on it a lot of the time but I'm proud I don't know if that's something that's been maintained this year but I'm proud that I didn't always make partnership in inverted comments for anyone listening partnership easy because it should be easy
1: and you've all spoke so eloquently about, you know, encouraging people to stand for positions if it's something they're interested in. Uh, final question, which I'm quite sad about because actually I could talk to you for hours about everything we've discussed so far. Going, uh, f- you know, from your positions into the world of work, not that your positions isn't work, what do you think your role and your experience gave you in terms of skill set or just ways, transferable skills essentially, what do you think those opportunities gave you that you use now in your, in your role? Megan, you're thinking of ways, so I won't come straight, to but maybe eve you might maybe um be able to answer that one
0: on a pure sort of like employability lens you would not believe the amount of skills and experience that you gain as being a sab i think the challenge is trying to articulate the experiences that you had and what skills that they gave you and it took me a really long time like in fact i would say only just recently has it fully clicked into my head what some of those experiences and skills mean and look like on a cv for example like it's taken a long time for that to click on a broader sense so this might be a bit cheeky but like similar to megan like recalibrating what partnership that like with our um, senior management like all that kind of stuff and this really might be cheeky but like i just realized that like people in important positions aren't always good at what they do that sounds like so savage like they're lovely people but like i think the the power dynamic can benefit them because you assume that they must know what they're doing and be really talented and that's the reason why they got to where they are. And so really what being a SAB has done to me is given me that experience to dispel my imposter syndrome when I'm like, oh, but I don't know if I'm like fully qualified to do that. I just think back to like all the people in roles that I thought were qualified and made slightly questionable decisions at every turn. I think I would make less questionable decisions at most terms so maybe that qualifies me to go for that role great <laughs> so it's a little bit cheeky but um yeah confidence to dispel imposter syndrome
1: but you do see it in lots of different sectors not just like in education where people are just promoted into incompetence and they're just promoted because they've worked there a long time and they might take one or two boxes and then i nearly didn't go for the position i have now because i didn't take all the boxes on the on the jd And I was like, oh, I could never do that job. I could never do that job. And then I got there and I was like, oh, I kind of know a few things. Like, you know, why did I doubt myself? Why did I even think of withdrawing from the process? So I've seen that time and time again. What about you, Beth? What will you take from your position, do you think, going forward?
2: just like to say as someone who's worked with you this entire year it's mad to me that think you've ever thought that you couldn't excel in your job because it's been I will give you I me. will
1: give you Beth a uh, podcast I did recently with somebody else on their podcast that talks about lead, leadership and you'll hear my whole story and maybe that might open your eyes <laughs> smoke and mirrors Beth smoke and mirrors <laughs>
2: yeah you've it's been amazing but it, it's interesting because I was like grinning like a Cheshire cat when you were saying that Eve, because I was like the same thing of like mine was going to be like don't be scared to like pull up the behavior of like people who are senior to you like because they are people and they'll make mistakes and you can call them out on that maybe in a better way it depends if you want to burn bridges and dance in them or like depends how you want to go about it but like don't just think that someone because they're senior to you the decision or the opinion that they have is is therefore any better or or more superior than yours i think that's what being a sab is it's is about interestingly and this is what i'll i'm intrigued to know what it'll be like when i enter the real world of work as such but i'm put in a senior position now and encouraged to challenge senior members of staff whereas that's not a normal workplace behavior so I'm very interested to know what will happen (laughs) when I'm very used to just being like hey have you done even just being like have you done this piece of work for me I'm intrigued I think just challenge those senior to you because it encourages them to be better as well like I think
1: so finally then Megan what have you brought from your two years how do you apply that in your everyday role
3: I totally agree with what Eve said first time around, the breadth of skills for my two years. I've only been out a year and I still feel like there's things that I'm discovering, like we're doing recruitment at my current job right now. And my manager was saying to me, oh gosh, you know, I'm not sure who's free for the panel. And I said, well, I've done loads of recruitment. She was like, have you? I was like, yeah, yeah. I recruited the vice chancellor of an organisation, so yeah, I can come in your interview panel. No biggie, like, just just a VC. I no like, biggie. And they were like, I didn't realise you'd done that. You know, so it's things that are still clicking in, and I'm like, I've done so so much as president of an organisation, and I think that also leads on to another thing: is it's definitely helped my confidence. I'd say again, it took me a little while to come down from being a president and needed some self care afterwards, but it the kind of similar, you know. If I can be at the head of a nearly £2 million turnover organisation during a global pandemic with people displaced everywhere, I can do that task that's been set for me that I'm a little bit unsure on, you know. And, and I think, yeah, it's given me a lot of confidence and a lot of bravery to also know when. Behaviour and situations aren't benefiting me and a bit of confidence to get out of it. Also, I'd say perhaps selfish, but I suppose this is also a bit of advice I'd give to anyone who is listening, maybe who's thinking about going into this role. I'm so incredibly grateful for the network it gave me. Um, And that's on a level of Eve is my friend. And I would have never met Eve had I not been a sabbatical officer. So I guess I'm very grateful for that. But also a bit of advice, join every group chat. It might <laughs> sound annoying. Join every group chat, join every every Zoom call, go for that drink after lead and change, because you'll meet so many people who may become really, really great friends. Also professionally, I'm now a trustee of an organization in Winchester where I live, because I was on the chair, I was on the board of governors at the university with someone who was chair of that board. And he approached me as I was leaving and said, I need a trustee. And I really think you'd be great. Would you consider applying? And I'm now a trustee of an amazing organisation. And I've had loads of amazing opportunities through that as well. So I'd say, yeah, that's a bit of advice as well. If, If you are thinking about it, speak to everyone go for coffees, join group chats, because you never know where that network will lead you afterwards and the skills it will give you as well. And just go
1: for it. Fantastic. Well, I think that's actually the perfect note to end the episode on. Thank you so much for your time and giving up your precious time on the weekend. I really appreciate it. And I think this has been such a fantastic conversation. And I'm very excited to see where your careers go because I have absolutely no doubt you are already going on to bigger, greater and fantastic things. And I'll be watching, not stalker literally like I said at the start, um, definitely not. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. i go to
0: get my parcel and they'll ask me, are you busy tonight? I say I might be playing Xbox, I've caught chicken pox. or any other excuse they could say? There'll be a man breathing fire. It's walking a high wire. No, I never mean to be rude.
1: Never really interested. Not even when they've invested in. Unless they say there's free drinks and food.